Ro did so good at the summit yesterday. I know. Uh, we hosted like a online health event. The old ladies loved him. Eight of them. They wanted <laughs> the little Rohaley on their bed. Always love me. I don't oh, know what no. it is, but like they, it's always like they want to like, they want to run their fingers through the beard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that might be it. Melba's like seventy something years old. She she was adorable. She didn't know how to use Zoom and was like asking Row questions. It was it was kind of cute. <laughs> That'd have been awesome if I got emails like, oh, so could you send me videos? And they'd be like, ma'am, <laughs> that's extra. Hello and welcome back to the Health Unfiltered podcast. My name is Ro and I'm here with the gang. The gang is back. What's up, ladies? Hey, hey. What's up? Ladies and Lance, we have uh, we have a guest today. Go ahead and say hello, Lance. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for having me here. Of course, of course. How are, how's everyone doing today? Better now yeah. that I have a beer in my hand. Is that an appropriate <laughs> yes. response? No, that's that's very fair. Uh, cause same. <laughs> it's like it's been a busy Sunday. Cheers. What about what about you two? Oh yeah, cheers to you as well. Um, yeah, I I I, th- I was telling Brooke off air that uh, we're supposed to get another like winter storm today. Not looking forward to it because I I just worked out in like fifty degree weather, so it was it was awesome, but. It's gonna be it's gonna be a cold one now. But I don't want to rub it in, but I was um, doing a, a beach run down here in the Panhandle of Florida. It was like seventy two, seventy three. I was, 72, I was this just morning. about to ask. I was like, Lance, where are you at right now? Yeah. He's like, Oh, in perfect weather, actually. So. <laughs> Man, are you in uh, South Florida right now? I'm in the Panhandle. Or no, you're in the Panhandle. So I'm like, right. uh, I'm west of gotcha. west of Tallahassee, east of Pensacola. Jeez, Pensacola. A lot of good a lot of good memories there. <laughs> um yeah, we want to talk about those. So um <laughs> let me just go ahead and <laughs> introduce Lance real quick. So uh the reason I asked about South Florida is because Lance grew up in South Florida um and ended up going to UCF where he studied molecular biology on a medical research track. Uh, after working in the biotech industry for a year, he felt the call to service and enlisted in the US Air Force where he spent the last nine years traveling the world and serving. Wow. Thank you for your service, uh, Lance. And, Absolutely. you know, it's really great to to have you on here. I think you're our first, I'm trying to think of all the guests we've had, our first uh, tactical athlete person slash um, uh, what a service member. I was like, what are they called? Um, you know, I'm super patriotic apparently, so I know all branches of government and everything. I would say call me a jarhead, but I'm an Air Force guy, so we, you know, we get the nickname of the Chair Force. The chair, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny. One of my my old roommate, uh, he was a he was working towards being in the Navy, and then the sequester happened, and so his life kind of got put all over the place. Uh, now he's in the Air Force, and he's like, "Oh man, I used to talk so much shit about them." <laughs> That's what happens, man. They hate <laughs> so, us because they ain't us. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Adam and Bailey chilling in Guam right now. Nice. Um, and congrats on having your first child. This was a couple months ago, but if you're listening, we love and miss you. So um, cool. Well, like I said, welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lent, as I'm sure you've been told by Brooke, um, we do have a, a uh, 
I guess, tradition of, of drinking on the podcast. So we'll let you go ahead and start on what you're drinking today. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a uh, Seventh Son Brewery, which is uh, local down in, in Tampa, Florida. And I've got their Graffiti Orange, which is a creamsicle wheat ale. It's quite tasty. Ooh. Is it? Does it taste like a, like an orange cream pop? Because that's uh, what I'm like imagining. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. It's uh, brewed with wheat, uh, lactose, sugar, uh, and then aged on vanilla beans with orange zest. So you're you're right. You're spot on target that with the mm, creamsicle. Nice. <laughs> Those are like the best little ice cream lollipop bar type things. <laughs> what about you, Brooke? What are you drinking? I'm drinking local beer too. I snagged the last IPA out of the fridge. I've got Suck a it, hopium. Oh yeah. Ooh, um, hopium. IPA. It's like it's brewed by Foothills Brewing here in Winston Salem, North Carolina. It's good. Ooh. It's like not overly hoppy. It's kind of like a refreshing IPA, I would say. No, no such thing. Every IPA is just like a punch in the mouth. You're like, ah, <laughs> all right, <that's> super <laughs> hoppy. <laughs> Those are the only ones. What about you, Nicole? Nicole just moved into her new place, so congrats to her. You survived. You made it. Um, what What's the the first drink you're bring, you're drinking in the new place, at least on the podcast? Because I'm sure well, you've been drinking wine um, the entire I'm, time you've been moving. I'm really sorry, Ro. I'm I'm only drinking water, <laughs> only because Damn it. Come on. I seriously think my body would just go into shock at this point because I've maybe eaten like one meal a day for the past four days <laughs> and drank like no water. So I'm just trying to like chug oh, water man. any second that I remember. But I have a ton of beer in the fridge downstairs, and now I wish I would have grabbed one because this would have been like the first one where we're all drinking a beer. Sorry, I'm really oh, sorry to disappoint God. you. Well, you, nobody's saying you can't go and, and run off, run off. I'll, I'll run it. You know? Yeah, you gotta you gotta pull a me. You just text someone else to bring you the alcohol at your desk. <laughs> yes, it's You're your like, working beer. You need like, Nancy. Where's Nancy? Yeah, oh my gosh! Yeah, right. She'd be like, "Let me let me call." Can I phone a friend? Hold on. Should I should I keep the mic on row for you? Well, maybe Nancy can come bring me a beer, but. Brina. I miss her. Um, cool. I have a also a local yeah. beer. It's called uh, a Scotia or just Scotia. Um, it's from Busket Brewing. Um, and it, I think it was like the first beer I had here in Albuquerque when I moved. You love oh, that yeah. shit. I love what shit? The ASMR or the beer? <laughs> Both. <laughs> I do. Um, but yeah, it's... it's uh, it's like 8.4%. So if I'm going to the bathroom like eight times during this podcast, ex- you know, sorry. I Just don't break the that, seal, man. You got you to hold it the whole time. I have the bladder of a two-month-old. I'm like, <laughs> there is no seal. It's like at, at best like a, a, a barely working like flap. So, yeah, I, I don't know. As soon as I have to go, I'm like, well, this is me. So... It's funny, I finally went out to, uh, I guess you could call it the bar with a couple of buddies uh, two days ago, and I went to the bathroom like four times. We were there for like an hour and a half, but <laughs> two beers in, and I'm like, I just got to pee for the next six hours. So now everyone knows how, how my bladder works, so that's great. Um, Thanks for that. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, send us DMs about how much you pee. Wait, oh, you did? Okay, nice. Let <laughs> us know what, what you're drinking, Nicole. Um, It's actually... I don't it's it's from Munich, Germany. I can't say it oh because why why is he beer? Why is beer? Oh, <laughs> it's a Frankensteiner. 
Yes. Yeah. Pumpkin scone or vice beer. It's a what? Okay, uh, there we go. Half of ice and <laughs> I, I love that beer. Nice. It's really good. It's got a um, the yeast uh, that they used gives it a little bit of a banana type of profile. It's uh-huh. really good. Mm. I'm a beer nerd. In case yeah, you haven't I noticed, went... <laughs> I love it. I went to that's Munich great. two years ago, and so now every time I see a beer like in the store that's from Munich, I always want to try it. So I'm excited. Wow. Now, now Look we all you. have yeah, beers. And that was... <laughs> That was <laughs> a first. It only took us 21 episodes. So that's <laughs> awesome. Um, great. So um, we do have a question of the week, um, if you all don't mind answering it. But this one is from at the missing link. Excuse me. Sorry, I had to burp. Uh, is deli meat okay in small amounts? I know it's high in sodium, but I only use a few slices on my avocado toast. This person is for sure a millennial. Um, Are there any (laughs) long-term effects of eating processed or cured meats like that? I like this question. Well, my opinion is is very similar to my nutrition philosophy, which is in small amounts or something in moderation, this isn't something to be super concerned about, especially when you're young and active, which this person is. I don't think you need to be overly concerned about sodium, which um, I guess hint and foreshadowing at some of the things we're going to talk about later today. <laughs> but my opinion is lunch meat, processed meat, cured meat shouldn't be the bulk of the protein foods that you're eating, obviously. But if that wa- if you want that to be in the rotation occasionally, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, I would just make sure you're you are being mindful and reading labels, so it's not crazy amount of sodium. My favorite personal brand is Applegate. Um, not sponsored by them officially or anything, but I would be open <laughs> to it. But unofficially. I'm unofficially sponsored. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that of just, you know, you have to kind of assess, like, what do I have access to? What is my schedule like? Like, what am I wanting? And, I mean, for the most part, we're probably not eating lunch meat every single day. So I definitely agree with Brooke. There was a lot of um, correlation studies that correlated processed meats and cancers, and I think that's what got people really scared about processed meat, but I mean... Are pregnant women still not supposed to eat lunch meat? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't know if that was still a thing. Because it goes bad really easily, and it has to do with bacteria, and like it's just not recommended. It's kind of like sushi. It's like you're at risk for food poisoning. So I'm confused because like prosciutto, I can't say that word, (laughs) is like a cured meat. Does that mean that like hella Italians don't eat it the entire time they're pregnant or what? I don't think you're supposed to. You're not supposed to, but you're also not supposed to drink. And I know pregnant people who drink a glass of wine like (laughs) once a week. They yeah, process I mean, their meats you differently know, in Europe too. They use like less sulfites in it and things like that. Vice mm. beer, but no. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, speaking of that, um, what I think you you two answered the the question, right? I would say. I would say it's yeah. Um, before we move on, Lance, where have where have you been to? You did mention you have traveled the world, um, and you mentioned Germany, but. You know, where have you been? Where have you been to? What's been your favorite places? Yeah, I spent a uh, first year basically in San Antonio, Texas, which is where basic training is for the Air Force. And uh, my tech school, I was a security forces guy, so I think like a military police. <clears throat> and then I uh, went to Okinawa, Japan for uh, the next two years, which was awesome. Great food out there. Uh, cool. You know, lots of sushi. 
uh, lots of ramen, uh, pretty much everything under the sun you can think of as far as the the blue zone cultures, right? People that live into their into their nineties or close to a hundred. Uh, so the food there was really great. I loved, loved living there. Great scuba diving and stuff like that too. Uh, and then I uh, did some missions out to the Philippines while I was there, uh, in Japan and then come back to the U S where I was stationed here in the Panhandle of Florida. And then from there I was out the door pretty regularly on missions, um, stopped through Europe on a regular basis on the way out the door. It's kind of the, the pit stop for military guys and gals on the way out. So stopped in Germany quite a few times. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, deployed to Africa twice and then to Afghanistan. So, and then Africa, pretty much the entire North, North central part of the continent, which you don't realize how big Africa is until you're on a like 12 hour plane ride crossing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a whole ass continent, right? That's crazy. Dang. Well, nice. Where would you say your, your favorite place was then? Uh, I loved Okinawa. I definitely loved Germany. Uh, and as far as Africa goes, Uganda, uh, I went to Entebbe, which is the right on the north end of Lake Victoria there. And it's like a, it's like this little paradise location, uh, because they get like, uh, moisture weather patterns that come off the Lake Victoria. So it's like very tropical almost. And it's a more temperate than tropical environment, but it's very lush and green. And you see like toucans and, uh, you know, all the kind of, all the kind of African stuff that you only ever see in movies or zoos, you see just walking down the street. So it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Any fiddle fig trees? I know. I actually don't know what a fiddle fig tree looks like. I, I'll have to get my botany book out. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I'm still not sure. I had to Google it when she brought it up. But I'll like, send you a oh, picture of so. the one we bought. Oh, not, I cannot, I cannot wait to see it. I'm not going to lie. When I went to central america and to the caribbean i got really excited when i saw like tropical house plants but in the wild like mm-hmm. i i got so like probably an abnormal amount of excitement when i saw like a monstera <laughs> and pothos in the wild it was like, so cool one of those is on my kitchen table like, yeah this is where they come from <laughs> well and they get so much bigger like a pothos mm-hmm. leave is like bigger than my head when in in my house it's like maybe too. the size of my hand not even <laughs> Dang. Wow. There's a whole world out there, guys. <laughs> we should be traveling. Um, that's awesome. Uh, Lance, I don't want to poke fun, but it was a trick question because Please the do. best place you've been to is is America. And you didn't say that. So, you know, for anyone listening, these are your these are your people protecting you. So I don't know, I, I don't know what to I tell can, you. I can tell you from from deploying Africa that it, by the time you're like month three there, you are very much like, yeah, I'm very grateful to, to come back to where I live. <laughs> oh, man, I bet. You just, yeah, you see levels of poverty and no existence of health care and all that kind of stuff. So, yes, you're absolutely right. We do live in the best country in the world. <laughs> <laughs> he's like he's like i gotta i gotta save myself, gotta save myself. <laughs> we're done no, no worries oh man so like i've kind of pointed uh or i guess um uh i don't know i don't know the word i'm looking for what's going on today it's a sunday um like i kind of talked about earlier uh today we're talking about the military community um what health looks like for this population um the obviously the military population and then special nutrition and fitness considerations for the tactical athlete. Um, so Lance, if, if you're ready, um, tell us more about your background and, and experience in the military. I know you kind of talked about where you've been, but you know, give us a little more if, if you're if you want. Sure, absolutely. 
Uh, so like I said, I was a security forces guy by trade, which is basically military police. We're probably the closest thing the Air Force has to like infantry. Uh, it's kind of like if there's some job where you need somebody to point a rifle, that's that where they stick us. But um, <clears throat> I've uh, got the opportunity in the last five years to work within the special operations community, which was a great opportunity. So I was part of the dagger teams within AFSOC, the Air Force Special Operations Command. And the dagger teams are deployed aircraft ground response elements. So... We work in these small tailorable teams, two to five people. We jump on board the plane and we roll out wherever they're going. So our teams have gone everywhere from Haiti and Puerto Rico for hurricane relief efforts to Africa for hostage rescues to Afghanistan to support the big ongoing mission that's been going on there for the past two decades. So uh, that's kind of the, the bread and butter of what I was doing uh, worked as an anti-terrorism officer as well, which is just kind of a, an extra credential and working security plans and programs and things of that nature. And uh, was a nerd in school. I was like on a pre-med track, like you mentioned. So really into biology, really into metabolism, things of that nature. And then uh, after, obviously after going in the military, fitness becomes a big part of who you are. So I was a physical training leader, which just means like a like a fitness class instructor for the Air Force while I was in and then got certified as a strength conditioning uh, specialist to the NSCA while I was in too. So yeah, love fitness, love nutrition. And um, yeah, I'm glad I can be here and we can kind of do a little bit of a deep dive into how it affects the military community. For sure. Yeah, I know. Looking forward to it a lot. We do kind of mention <clears throat> tactical athletes and, and I think most of it really boils down to firefighters, police, things like that. But having someone who's been in militaries is definitely different. Um, so it's going to be awesome to talk about. Real quick, what, uh, you know, you mentioned that you were kind of on the, I think the med track. Uh, what what made you want to go into the Air Force? Because like that's, um, that's kind of a big shift. So It is. Yeah, yeah. I, I jokingly say I had my quarter life crisis. So I was like 20, <laughs> 22, got in done there. with with college and then uh I started working for a, a biotech company and, uh, you know, I was doing research, sitting at a lab bench, uh, crunching data. And I was like, man, I don't, not really liking this. Um, <laughs> just, I wasn't really even jiving really with the people I was working with. It was just, uh, it just, I wasn't passionate about it. Uh, I kind of just, I got three quarters away through the degree and I was like, I needed to finish and I did. Um, but you know, I decided I wanted to serve, uh, you know, the GI bill is great for you know if i wanted to go back to school it was going to be paid for so that was an advantage there and you know i'm a, I'm a mid, middle class privileged white kid so like it felt like obligated like i should do something to give back so i did <laughs> yeah and it's i mean it's, it's true man like you know it's like you get you get everything like you were saying like this is the greatest country in the world and it's like i don't know I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna rant here a little bit and there's like all these people now that yeah, are like my, my college should be paid for blah 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 and it's like you have no idea how good you have it and it's like what are you what are you actually contributing to society to earn this thing that you say that you're owed so that's a little bit of my mentality so that was that was my effort i planned on doing four years i was going to do like the f the four years and then pop smoke and go back to college we call it pop some pop smoke when you leave somewhere go back to college uh but i was i was having such a good time that i did a a second enlistment ended up and i'm, I'm a reservist now so i still have one foot in the door as a weekend warrior but um basically back to the civilian world wild <clears throat> Wow. Dang, what a what a trip. Um Yeah, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. I didn't know Thanks. that story. 
<laughs> Brooke is like, who is this person that we've invited on? <laughs> just like, a rando. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> I guess that's fair. We're all just randos. Uh, I mean, it's funny you mentioned cool, though, because I feel like, like most of us, we get miserable like right out of college, and we just like don't do anything to change it. So that's super cool that you're yeah. able to like think through that and be like, I want to do this. Well, I, I mean, I who? strongly encourage anybody to. You <laughs> Sorry, know I mean? bro, like, not you. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Lance, you were saying what? Strongly encourage what? No, man, just absolutely. Like, if you're, if there's something you don't like about your, about your life or your situation, you know, like to work, work to change it. You know, it's uh it's absolutely. it's chasing progress, not perfection. But you know, make a plan, formulate a plan, and and get after it. And that's, I'm I'm starting to do coaching online with people now, and that's a big thing that I'm I'm trying to help people through. It's like you know, a lot of people are self doubters, self sabotage, and and quit on themselves. And it's like, don't you don't you don't you know you can yeah. you can do anything, especially especially like you said in this country, where we have so much opportunity. Just get after it. There's a there's a way to make it happen. Yeah, this is not a motivational podcast. I'll drink. I'll drink a little more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like, you know, you know what? <laughs> Birds aren't real. Um, yeah. So uh, obviously, like you being in in the Air Force, uh, you know, you being stationed all over the place, and you kind of talked about um, the different. Uh, I guess communities you were part of it and, you know, food scarcity, water scarcity, all the things that kind of just come with being outside of the U.S. And, you know, me being able to walk into my kitchen and <laughs> pull a lever and I have all this water that's able to yeah. come out, right? Uh, that kind of plays into the reality of um, military personnel and, like, kind of the, the health struggles that, that they have. Um, so in your experience and, you know, from – personal experience but also from the people that were around you what are like what are common health struggles um that you saw or experienced during your time in and you know uh, also if you could talk about just how different it is for food and, and water and things like that yeah absolutely um i mean the biggest thing is always getting hurt you don't want to get hurt because you know you're out you're out the door to do a job and if you if you get jacked up you're not only you now no use to the team, but you become a liability instead instead of an asset, right? So you don't want to be you know on your way to a mission, and you roll your ankle or you start to fall out because of dehydration or this side of the other. Because I don't know what it is, but we never deploy anywhere in the U.S. military that's nice. We don't like we don't deploy to Can <laughs> Cancun or or you know any any place where it's like a like a mild temperate area. It's always like either as hot as hell or cold as hell or dry as hell or wet as hell. <laughs> just That just seems to be the pattern. Um, so environmental conditions are huge, right, to, to avoid that stuff. And like I said, you don't want to get hurt. You don't want to get injured. You want to be an asset, not a liability. Um, and then, yeah, like learning a big part of that too is like learning to take care of yourself. And this becomes even more important as you become a leader, whether you're a non-commissioned officer, we call an NCO, which is what I am, or you're a commissioned officer, you think of like a lieutenant or a captain who's leading more people. You can't take care of anybody if you're not taking care of yourself. So being able to pay attention to those things and take care of them and make, making sure that you're putting what you need to put into yourself for sustainability uh, is, is not even something that you're really thinking about. It just becomes automatic so that you can take care of your people and get the mission done. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that's a great answer. Uh, what What are like, you know, things specifically that you had to fight against, especially being in, you know, uh, we can say extreme environments. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I had more than my fair share in training. Uh, I mean, I went went through some special operations courses where you're, you know, in the field for extended days at a time. You are uh, you're dealing with uh, summer conditions where you're hot and hydration, uh, rhabdomyolysis. I don't know if you guys are familiar, you know, the base of the body's tissue just starts to break down over a long period of time of just going after it and going after it and not having a good, good amounts of rest, rehydration and food. Um, things of this nature. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen guys fall out. I've seen, I've seen girls fall out from, from just not being on top of, of the thing. I mean, it used to be, there's, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard of like the army ranger school, but there's a lot of caloric restriction that, that goes into that course. It's part of the kind of trying to make you mentally tough. It's like making you go without, but there's kind of mm -hmm. become a shift now in the military, uh, especially within the special operations community that like we really shouldn't be doing this to people if we don't have to because it does kind of have that I mean it, it makes you mentally hard to like I call it THC and I'm not talking about smoking pot I call it tired hungry and cold and you when people become tired hungry and cold you get to see a side of them or you and you learn a side of yourself that you're not you're not going to learn without being exposed to those conditions um but you you do it too much too hard to somebody and you know then they're losing fingers because of you know, because of cold exposure or, you know, like I said, they go into rhabdo or things of that nature, they get, they get stress fractures in their, in their legs, things of that nature. So it's a fine line of where we want to have enough stress to really inoculate people and, and get them to where they, they need to be for, for the mission at hand, but not break them. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I know that, uh, we've talked, I'm sure it's come up at some point about how that's how, um, kind of you think of old strength coaches, right? Where it's like, well, we're just going to sprint you until you, <laughs> until you fucking die and, and you're yeah. throwing up. And it's like, yeah, but then the next day they can't practice. Um, and so obviously to a, <laughs> to a lesser degree, uh, right. Um, that's like that, but you're right. Like how, how are you going to expect the people who are supposed to be, you know, on the front lines uh, are supposed to be taking care of each other so that they can take care of the U S you're just going to like shit on them for extended periods of time and then be like, good luck. So, um, yeah, that fine line is, is really important. And I think that, you know, you as someone who, um, we'll get into a little bit later, has more experience on this. Like you're a really great advocate for, for that, right. Being like, Hey, I felt this and, uh, I know it's not a great thing. So how can we make it more efficient? Um, but that's a, that's a really good point. Um, being in, in heat, I, I know that, you know, we, I think we like to focus on heat as, as humans because we are uh, more adapted to dealing with heat than we are with like cold. Um, I, you had to deal with heat exhaustion, heat stroke, hydration, and all this that leads to like electrolyte imbalances mm -hmm. and cramps um, and all that kind of stuff. Um, we're going to go into the feast and famine cycle, which is just a thing I learned about four hours ago or however long when, when Brooke texted Nicole about, I was like, I don't even know it was a thing. Um, but you know, what are some strategies that, that you were taught, um, that may be right or wrong. And then what are things that you think are right or wrong to prevent heat exhaustion and heat stroke, um, at least in those environments. And then, you know, like Brooke and Nicole adding different stuff to, to kind of balance that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've definitely noticed that there's the lack of consideration for for hydration and and just eating right in general. Um, the the military is constantly trying to encourage its people to eat better, but I mean, as you know, you can as as you guys know from looking at our current um, 
you know, obesity percentages in the U.S. and diabetes percentages, the average American household uh, is not paying attention to what they're putting in their mouth as much as maybe they should. Um, and it's not, you know, it's, that's not like to blame individual families or anything. It's a, it's a systemic issue. Um, so definitely improving like people's knowledge base of what they should be putting in their body. Uh, and then, yeah, eating, eating appropriate. And I know Brooke and I talked about a little bit about this when she joined me on my podcast on the Warrior Monk podcast is like when you eat, right? Cause we, a lot of people get into fad dieting or, you know, they think carbohydrates are bad because, you know, that's going to make them fat. Uh, and knowing how to carb cycle and learning, you know, Hey, I know, I know I have to wake up tomorrow morning and we're doing a 12 mile ruck March. Um, you know, having, having the extra bowl of rice tonight or the extra pasta is going is, and with some salt on it is going to be okay. Cause I'm going to burn that bad boy off tomorrow morning. Um, things of that nature. And then, uh, like I said, hydration, which, uh, I had my, my own issues with that. I mean, I fell out twice in various training courses due to, uh, to heat heat exhaustion borderline didn't quite go into heat stroke was able to kind of press on but i mean had to get like the iv and the, the whole nine yards and and all that done so Dang. um yeah for me it's it's definitely i i learned the hard way kind of through through cramping up and having issues that for me for whatever reason my potassium balance is really important uh and we talk about salt a lot right so people talking about gatorade constantly and making sure you know you di dilute or sometimes go for, people go for the pedialyte and you know dilute that with water or whatever do a one-to-one -one ratio and make sure you're getting that to get the electrolytes back in your system but for me it was potassium so um a little trick that i actually learned because everyone talks about potassium a lot and they're like oh you need potassium get a banana bananas are okay um i don't remember the exact amount i think 300 milligrams of of potassium in a banana but if you actually look at foods per ounce the best thing you can actually get for that is uh, dried apricots so per ounce you're actually getting your highest concentration and it's nice too because they've got some some quick sugar and some quick carbs in them too so i would keep in my ruck i would keep uh those dried dried apricots and if i already knew i was starting to sweat a lot i would just pound a couple of them get a little bit of a quick carb in me and a little bit of potassium make sure i hydrated and kept going so that was a little little hack that i found that worked really well for me you know i was thinking about it. i don't know if i've ever had an apricot apricot how do you so say good. it is Especially there a the correct way of saying tomato apricot. tomato yeah yeah it's like one of those <laughs> i think i've only had well, the tomatoes wrong ones. so <laughs> yeah i don't know i'm now i'm like how many other fruits have i not had <laughs> in my life they're kind of like peaches is that how you would describe yeah. them lance yeah, it's a little bit of a peach taste. I just said like, like peaches, they're not though. they're not fuzzy. They're I mean it's more I mean just like dry, and almost any dried fruit you get, it's like you you're really gonna get more of the sugar flavor in it because it's yeah, dehydrated. Like, like a candy but, type. Thing. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's fair. I know Brooke doesn't like candy, so I'm sure she. I uh, do, but like I don't eat it every all day. Of her clients, a all of her clients <laughs> only are allowed to eat dried fruits. This is what I've heard from not Google true. reviews. So, <laughs> I don't know. 4.9 out of 5 stars. So. This is not true. <laughs> oh, I love goodness. the Lance that you brought up this idea of like, don't be scared of carbohydrates. For whatever reason, I've found that most of the tactical athletes I work with kind of fall victim to a lot of the fad diet stuff, just like everyone mm. else. And they're scared of carbs. And one of the first things that we have to start tackling is we actually need to scale back your protein because you're overdoing it on the protein and we need to yeah. divert some of those extra calories to carbohydrate because that's actually what you're going to need for performance. And lo and behold, 
I don't like to say I told you so, but their performance and energy <laughs> is so much better. It's and, like you're uh, a professional And it makes me this. really happy. Yeah. So Who crazy. Thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. Brooke, Brooke, I do have a question because you brought that up. Uh, is this for people that are, at least in experience, outside of the military already or once they've kind of, I don't want to say retired because I, I feel like some people get offended by that. Um, or like that there are like deployed right now, because in my, in my mind, getting like too much protein while you're deployed, doesn't make sense just because I know that like food is a limited thing. Um, but yeah, what, what is it? So this is very different when you're stateside versus deployed versus training in the field. It looks really different. And I have clients doing all the above right now. It's the ones that are here in the United States who are currently either like working on a base or they're training for something, but they're living at home. That's where that happens. But I think what's so interesting about tactical athletes is there's all these different circumstances that are going to arise that normal people wouldn't face. Like I had a client who was in the field and it's a whole other set of issues because you're eating so many MREs or like DFAC food. And then you're right. It is like how much... It's so bad. You know, it's like, okay, how do we regulate bowel movements here and make sure you are getting enough protein? Like, that's really the issue that starts to come up. It's you have these totally different sets of challenges depending on where you are in that moment in your career. Yep. Gotcha. And MREs will keep you you alive, but they're terrible. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Like, do you ever just be like, hey, if you can, go steal somebody else's MRE? Oh, trust me. It's, it becomes, (laughs) it becomes like a, it becomes like a battle. Like you'll have like people stealing each other's, like their candy out of it. And yeah, it's, yeah. If anybody doesn't know. It kind of seems like prison. Yeah. You're like trading, like commissary. (laughs) For anybody listening who doesn't know, it's like MREs are meals ready to eat. So they're these bagged, bagged meals basically that are supposed to give you you know your caloric intake for basically almost 50 they're supposed to be like 50 percent of your value for the day um and i mean they're highly salted they're high they're filled with preservatives i mean they, they have a shelf life of like five years or something like that and um a lot of people love them when they get first get in the military they're like oh this is so cool you know it's like camping trip and then by the time you're a couple years in the military you or you've been at one of these schools where you have to eat one every single day you're like oh god please no not another one Part of me was wondering, I'm just going to throw this theory out there. (laughs) Part of me was wondering if they were intentionally designed to make you constipated and not have to shit. (laughs) I really like because I'm just like one, I'm reading it and I'm hearing about what's in them and I'm hearing people's (laughs) issues they have. I'm like, I wonder if this is intentional so that you don't even have to waste the time and the energy or like it's just just (laughs) no shit alive and moving. Yeah, that's the that's the the dear Deuce motto is the only good soldier is one who doesn't have to stop to take a shit. So uh, <laughs> I, I like could tell, tell a shit story if you guys want to hear it. I don't know if you want to get absolutely. Go down I'm down it, for shit stories. Do it. <laughs> so I was I was in Afghanistan and uh, I was attached to a special tactics team, which is the Air Force Special Operations Team, and uh, we were supposed to go out for like a 24-hour op to basically pull security for. Uh, an operation that was going on that aircraft were going to fly in and out. And basically we we're going to be there. They were going to do controlling of the aircraft, you know, making sure they could land and take off and then provide security for the operation. And it ended up turning into a 72 hour ordeal, whatever. That's part of the job. You, you kind of know. So we packed out for it. We had, we had MREs in our bags and it's just part of what you do is you plan for the worst case scenario. But um, like 48 hours in, like everyone's kind of like, well, we've been eating MREs for two days and like, 
no one's no one's going to the bathroom, you know. So it's an abandoned fob, and the Afghani's actually have control of it now. I, I can't really say where it's at, but it's 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 still it used to be run by us, but at a certain point we handed it over, and it was it's pretty derelict now. Um, so we're we're hanging out in these. We've got these different bunkers set up over around the airfield to that give us some some cover and and some safety. And all of a sudden, like everyone starts at the same time, like into that forty eight hour period, starts to get like the bubble guts. <laughs> And everyone's like, well, there's no bathrooms out here. There's no Porta Johns. There's no trailers with bathrooms in them. Like, what, what's everybody going to do? And uh, conveniently, everyone decided, like, almost centrally located to the airfield was this bunker that no one was using. And I, I had the bubble guts, too. And I went there because I was like, I need to. It's been two days. It's time to do this. And there was just a row, a row of of poops <laughs> of, of crap <laughs> every every single person on the team had gone to this bunker and it was unofficially the shit bunker <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> a shit circle so, uh yeah man. like i said like i said before thank you for your service uh, I know. <laughs> as someone who used to lead outdoor trips people have like trouble shitting in the woods i can't imagine being like you see that bunker over there? Everyone's gonna poop in that. Yeah, that's, so uh, <laughs> let's go. We didn't even agree on it. it. Just it just came about naturally. <laughs> it just happened. It just happened. Everyone just had the same idea. You're like, yeah, okay. This no is, one's using that one. You know, the first person that went was like, hell yeah, like <laughs> this is mine. No one else yep. is gonna know about Claimed. it. And then he showed up again. It's just the whole line. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's animals. So Humans are just animals, man. That's true. Um, yeah. So. Uh, Let's talk about um, kind of, I know we, we uh, well, I, I think we should really talk about what happens in, in the heat uh, to, your, to your body. Um, and, then, and then we can kind of dive more into, you know, how we can use nutritional strategies to uh, combat that. Let's yeah. do it. So, Ladies, all right. Yeah. Do you want, like, who wants Brooke, to start? Go you want me to go? You want me to start? Yeah, go ahead. yeah, you go, Brooke. So we talked about heat exhaustion and heat stroke a little bit, and I just wanted to explain for someone who's never experienced or might not know the difference and what it is. So both are not fun. Heat exhaustion includes like dizziness, fainting, anxiety. Heat stroke is really dangerous, potentially fatal. Um, some people can go into multi-system organ failure. There's going to be abnormalities of the central nervous system. You can even get just delirious and very detached, convulsions, brain swelling. So clearly that's very, very dangerous and that kind of – we'd never want it to escalate to that point. Um, but who was it we had on? Dr. Smith? Um, he was talking about the cold. We need to have him back on and explain the heat because yeah. I'm probably going to butcher what really happens during <laughs> the heat. But – when the body is exposed to extreme temperatures, essentially our nervous system is going to respond and it's stimulating change so that blood flow comes up to the skin and we have this vasodilation, which just means that our blood vessels are kind of opening up bigger. Um, and this is when we're going to start to initiate that kind of cooling response. And that's when everything's at the surface. Hopefully it's kind of radiating out. We're having this induction of heat loss. 
So when the external temperature is greater than our core body temperature, I feel like we experience so much of this while living in, in Mississippi. Um, and paired you know, with the high humidity, that can make it much harder for the body to cool through these natural mechanisms, especially if you're in humidity, it's hard to sweat and have that work for cooling. It just doesn't really work because nothing's really evaporating. You're not getting that same cooling effect. So you're actually at a higher risk for heat exhaustion or heat stroke. Um, and this is common. This is common. Like even whipping out textbooks, it's like, this is really common for athletes and soldiers. Heat-related illness, you know, like it, absolutely you're put in these situations where you're set up to have these things occur. Yeah, I think um, I think for the most part that that was that's correct. So hope hopefully Doctor Smith doesn't hear it and he's like, you guys never have me on here again. <laughs> no, he's I know he's got to go back and go into the nitty gritty of it. I did like a Barney down yeah, yeah, version sure. that makes sense to me, but he needs to come back and really school us on this. Yeah, I, I think one of the the really cool things about uh, sweat is it's like you know it's how we keep cool, right? Uh, the reason in high humidity environments it doesn't work is because when we look at um, basic like physics is that we always want to move from high concentrations to low concentrations because if we have a lot of one thing in an area, if there's more room on the other side, we want to move to that side. So if it's very humid out, that means there's a lot of water in the air. And so it's very hard for the water coming off of your skin to be dispersed into the air. The way you cool down is really when that water is able to kind of like magically like float off the skin. Um, and so that's why when you're in really, really hot and humid environments, you start to like just drip sweat. That is not like an efficient cooling tool because it's like the actual like dispersion of it from the skin that cools you down, um, which is just you know, it doesn't add anything to, to what you just said, but it's really cool when you think about just like that the actual like energy expended from moving from your skin to the air is like how, how you cool down. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it it is very difficult for especially people who don't have all the, the resources, right? Lance, like if you don't have the water, the food is like I said, MREs aren't like great. Uh that's so much different than an NFL player who's like, hey, like water boy, I need this. Hey, yeah, where's my, you know, where's my, my Gatorade and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's something else to, to keep in mind um, when it comes to maybe if you are training people overseas or people that are active, like those are those are real things that you have to have to keep in mind. Um, but Brooke, uh, can you go into kind of like the differences between heat exhaustion, heat stroke, and then like, you know, how to, how to make sure that those things don't happen. Yeah. So when we're talking about preventative strategies, um, I'm going to butcher this word, but acclimatization um, and making right, sure yeah. that that's a part of the process is important. And having a hydration plan, which there's a bunch of different schools of thought depending on the governing body of science that you look to, whether it's USA Track or Academy of Nutrition Dietetics, but they're all pretty close. They're similar enough. So I'll definitely give some 
practical applications for that, but it is important to develop a hydration strategy. And like Lance mentioned, paying attention to how your body is different, because even though we can use science to narrow down, this is what the research says is best, your body might be different and you need to pay attention to those cues it's giving you. So, you know, even if you are a tactical athlete where you're like, hey, Brooke, I might not be in the perfect situation to time out my hydration here and I don't know what's going on. Cool. But I encourage you while you are stateside or if you're training and you can, you know, pay attention to these things and start to get in touch with those cues, do that then so that when that comes up and you are in situations, you know, oh, I know what this is. I know what I need. You can react and respond. That would kind of be my recommendation there. Um Making sure that you are paying attention to your hydration status, monitoring it, easiest way is through your urine. Pay attention to that. You know, use the beer scale. We want a Coors Light color, not an IPA. Not, you know, you know think about it that yeah. way. <laughs> Natty Ice great is a great example there. Um, so, you know, monitor your hydration status in the ways that you know how and pay attention to how your body responds because it's slightly different for everyone. And make sure that you're including electrolytes. We get electrolytes from food. I feel like we don't say that enough. You're getting these things from your food. But sometimes in extreme situations, we need to think about how can I get extra either while I'm active or replenish them after. So that's definitely an important part of the process. Yeah. Lance, what was your experience like in in kind of dealing with with all of that? And how did how did you do it aside from a dried apricot and <laughs> apricots? I don't know. Both. I can't say the word. Apricots and apricots. Um, yeah, I, I love that Brooke talked about uh, climatization because I do. I'm, I am a firm believer in that, and I've uh, I've talked to to my guys uh, in the military, and if I work with tactical athletes, I, I talk to them about this because. You know, we don't like being uncomfortable. And if you know you're you you're gonna go for your training session, and you know it's 90 degrees and 95% humidity outside, and you know there's a gym there that it's climate controlled, uh, you're gonna be drawn to go do your 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 workout in in the air conditioned gym, right? Uh, which is fine. I mean, you can still make gains in those conditions, but if your performance, right? And this isn't just if, even for tactical athletes. If you're training for a triathlon, a, a marathon, a tough mutter, or even a, even like, you know, CrossFit athletes and things like that. A lot of these events are done outdoors. You should try to get as close to uh, the conditions that you're going to be training in for your actual event, for your actual mission as you can. So train outdoors if you can, uh, you know, get used to that heat because you will climatize. Um, and I you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about heat shock proteins because the body does have an adapt adaptation method to deal with some of these extreme conditions. And they're both in heat and cold. And um, I'm doing my uh, my breathing, breathe, performance breathing certification through XPT. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with XPT, but they're a performance lifestyle group uh, put together by Laird Hamilton and, and Gabby Reese. Laird Hamilton was a legendary big wave surfer, and Gabby Reese is a former Olympian uh, volleyball um, volleyball player, but they're, uh, uh, they've been partners for, for years and years and years, but, uh, they're huge on sauna exposure and, and cold, cold exposure for, uh, toning the, the sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system, as well as generating these heat shock proteins so that your body knows what these conditions are like and is better prepared to adapt to them when they are thrown at you. Uh, because the other thing too, is you got to think about, 
is it's not always just going to be one, two. I mean, when we talk about sending our guys and girls to Afghanistan, you can be at a low place in a valley in the summertime or, or, or maybe not in the summertime, but spring, spring or fall, and it's in the 80s or 90s, and then you jump in a plane or a helicopter to go up to elevation, and all of a sudden you've got a drop in temperature of 50 or 60 <clears throat> degrees and a change in humidity and change in elevation so i mean you can't you can't train for every single condition right it's just not there's right. there's too many what-ifs that can happen but you're doing yourself a disservice if you're any kind of tactical athlete by not inducing the kind of conditions that you're going to work at and i mean it's really it's really easy too if you're a paramedic emt or firefighter or uh, or law enforcement officer i mean you work in that city right if you're gonna have to go chasing somebody down a street or or help pick up uh you know a patient that's going to be in this exact same environmental conditions that you were living in so why not train in it yeah that's a really good point uh specificity right like it, that's like the main tenet for for any sort of athletic performance but that also has to do with environment there's a reason why um, <clears throat> fighters when maybe two, three weeks out, will start to train at night because, you know, it's just different timing. They mm -hmm. are Absolutely. a little bit more tired. You know, they're a little bit more used to this, you know, whatever specific to their, um, I, I love that. I didn't even think about how, you know, it's probably good for, you know, if a cop has to chase someone down, like you should probably be running outside, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. especially if it, it might go a long time. Um, I do want to say, you know, you mentioned heat shock proteins and, yeah, the, it it is a, a cop is always going to work in their community, right? Like they're they're not going to get called to go, you know, to fucking Washington if they were in Florida um for, you know, for just any any time of the day, but specific to heat shock proteins is that they uh they have this crossover effect where um they I believe can also get you acclimatized uh a bit more to elevation. Um so heat and elevation kind of play together really well um and and when we think about that like acclimatizing is a huge huge way of, of getting ready um and it doesn't even have to be just uh you know running outside or something it can be sitting in a sauna um we had a study uh published i guess it was last year um where they just did low intensity exercise uh in our heat chamber for like two hours it was really a hundred minutes. Um, and there was no difference in like the mitochondria themselves, but there was a difference in heat shock proteins as well as VO2 max. Now, was it like, you know, different than people who actually exercise? Like, no, but if you are stressed for time, for whatever reason, you can't fit in uh, working out or something like something like sitting in a sauna or doing low activity work in a sauna is going to help you with that. Now, I think it's also important to stress that if your exercises are, or your training sessions are intense enough, what's going to happen is you are going to increase your body heat and that is going to increase your, your HSPs, your heat shock proteins. So this doesn't mean that you should just, you know, go and lift weights a hundred degrees outside or do an EMOM, you know, in the most humid, uh, uh, conditions, because what's going to happen is, are you going to acclimatize? Yes. Is it going to be any better than if you just did high intensity work? Maybe not in like, a uh, an air conditioned place, but like in a normal place. Yes. But 
at some point, it's not like you double the effect. So if you just get hot enough, put in enough work, then you don't really have to set aside that extra time to sit in a sauna um, and and try to acclimatize to, to the heat. But yeah, there's a lot of really good strategies to getting used to that kind of environment. And going back to what we talked about earlier, like it is a mental thing. Mm-hmm. If you've never been super hot before and then you end up in Afghanistan, you're like, oh, fuck, like, <laughs> this is not cool. Um, so so definitely feeling what that's like is is really important. Um, but understanding the, the biology behind it is also really great. Um, so if, even if you have like a rudimentary understanding of of heat shock proteins, like I know Lance, you have a good understanding of them. Like that's really great for your clients because you're like, hey, we're just going to get you to work at high intensities um, so that your body can handle this and you are not just going to be that um, that liability on your first day day there and stuff like that. So yeah, and I'm by so, no yeah. means an expert. It's it's something that we're still studying too with heat shock proteins. Uh, I don't know if you guys yeah. have heard of uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, but she's an epigeneticist who has a, a podcast, and she's putting out some great information all the time, or helps share other great information coming from the field uh, when it comes to heat shock proteins and and the benefits of of training in in hot or cold environments. So, yeah. Bro, Very have cool. you heard of her? No, uh, I well, you said Rhonda Patrick. Yeah, she's Dr. been Rhonda on Patrick. she's been on Joe Rogan's podcast a couple of times. That's where I picked up on her. But she's doing her own podcast now, and she's she's I mean she's a she's a PhD in I think her actual PhD is in epigenetics. So obviously she gets into the nitty gritty of how our body adapts. So it's it's some pretty good information. Yeah, she puts you would out. love it. That's really cool. I'll have to I'll have yeah. to to listen in. I I feel like the name sounds very familiar, but I don't I don't know if I've ever been like. Oh, that's her. Let me go listen to her. Mm-hmm. Um, her podcast or if I know is like about it. Yeah, her podcast is like very. You need a background, I feel like, in science yeah, to understand it. Like sometimes before she starts, she'll define a whole bunch of terms that most people wouldn't know if they listen. Like it's it's a lot, but I feel like it'd be right up your alley, bro. Oh yeah, dang it! That's all I need is more distractions. But uh, <laughs> it's in my notes now. <laughs> to be like Dr. Rhonda Patrick. Um, yeah, I, I I I was joking about this um earlier with Brooke before we were on air uh about how um what were we talking about was oh hydration and, and cramping right and and electrolyte balances and things like that and I think uh, I'm only bringing this up because I want to argue just a bit but also because there there are kind of two schools of thought um I think the 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 past has really been like oh if you're cramping have a banana, um, have your water, <laughs> bomb some Pedialyte, right? Um, and, and I know that I feel like inherently that like makes a lot of sense. But from doing like my own reading and then um, writing for a magazine or whatever, uh, I, I was, I was, I guess taught that cramps don't play or aren't affected by hydration as much as we once thought they were, uh, they are a huge thing. Uh, or I think it is important. Like you can't just be like, Oh yeah. If someone has like a lack of electrolyte balance, they're going to be fine. But I think when you, when you look at it from the signal coming from the spinal column into the muscles themselves, what happens with the cramp is that instead of having it be like a two-step process where it goes from one all the way back, it just kind of keeps going and it freaks out. 
And so this causes the muscle to like tense up. And I did say like, uh, well, Brooke was, uh, we talked about like marathons. And uh, I said, well, you know, the fastest marathons that have been run have been run uh, and people haven't had water, right? They haven't stopped for drinks. And then Brooke brought up a really great counterpoint when she's like, well, yeah, but those people run it super fast. And for someone who's running it four or five, six hours, they need more fuel um, because it's taking longer, but also like the efficiency isn't isn't there um, like it would be in a in a trained marathon runner. Um, so just, yeah, some some things to, to think about when it comes to or at least to kind of explore when it comes to cramping and hydration and especially how that relates to to exercise and stuff you like that. You know I'm what I'm going to say, and I'm just going to say it, even though you disagree. <laughs> I'm 110% on this hydration train, and I've got the anecdotal evidence and scientific evidence to back it up. And you're right, just not going to convince you know? me otherwise. You're just not. Same. The, the other side. I'm not saying they can't live in unison, right? Because it is, <laughs> it's a multifactorial thing like fatigue would be. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just I think it's always funny when I, when I hear that. And... When I was dying in the Grand Canyon from like heat stroke pretty much and Casey was like, just have more salt. Just have, you know, like we had these snacks. All I could think about was one, I hope I don't die. And then two, <laughs> like, lame babe, these snacks are not going to fucking help me because I know that it has nothing to do with hydration. <laughs> so so was the placebo effect? Was the hydration not helping because in your mind you thought it wasn't going to? I know, right? I was, <laughs> I was just like bombing water. I was like... I don't care if I feel better. I'm going to force myself to feel like shit so that I can be right. Uh, no, I have I have. This no sounds idea, like but... Roe, though. This is 110% <laughs> yeah, what happened. That's for sure, man. I'm like, I can't, I can't let people know that I was wrong. I'll literally die, <laughs> die before, I, before I say I'm wrong. Um, no, anyway. Let's I do think it's interesting. Oh. I, I, I'm sorry. Just, What's a, just a, a side note. Yeah, I've never heard that before about 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 being a, a misfiring neural component. So I'm sure there's something to it. And I'd be curious to see some more studies that come out that kind of show, you know, maybe it's somewhere in the middle that it's a combination of both. But yeah, that's the first time I've heard it, and it's I want to I'm going to do a deep dive later and and kind of look for the, look at the research. Yeah, I well, I like I told Brooke, I, I wrote some magazine. I don't remember what it was for, but it was specifically on that. But when you look at the people who cramped. And the people who didn't at the end of a marathon, their hydration status and their electrolyte uh, balance was not any different, uh, significantly, was not, Jesus Christ, significantly different. Um, but it's also important to understand that, like, you know, stats are stats. Like, right. 0.05 we, we use heavily, but, right. you know, a 1% decrease in me might not be bad, but a 1% decrease in you could be life-threatening. Um, so it definitely goes back to one of those things where you have to figure out, you know, what works best for you. But yeah, have 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 fun learning about that because it blew in my mind. I was like, oh shit. That's why I fight with Brooke about not needing as much water as she thinks, but <laughs> <sighs> my skin is still glowing. So it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. So let's, let's move on to uh, the feast and famine cycle, uh, which I had brought up earlier, mostly in that I had no idea that it was a thing, um, or I really have no idea what it is. Um, but, you know, Lance, you kind of talked about how in the field, like you have really only access to MREs. Um, 
And sometimes it's enough and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're trying to steal from people, you know, to get that extra snack. And sometimes you are probably not eating for a couple days. So I assume that this is something that is very common for the military population. Um, so in your experience and then kind of diving a little deeper with Brooke and Nicole, like what are some ways to avoid the feast and famine cycle um, and what are some tips to keep in mind and then again for those of us who don't know what it is what the hell is it yeah so feast and famine cycle i mean it's uh i, I don't know if brooke may have a or, or, or nick nick might have a better a better um definition but we're we're going to to talk about like basically like your you're eating a lot, you're caloric excess for a period of time, and then going into a caloric deficit for a period of time. And that's, that cycle is going to be affecting your performance, right? Because if you're in a caloric deficit and you're looking to put out work, especially for extended period amount of expended, expended period of time, you're, you're going to look at a performance lag. You're going to be seeing yourself not putting out energy like you'd like to. Um, and I know one thing that, that they're actually starting to do now is actually talking about sending, especially guys in the special special operations community, sending them downrange, actually, intention of having them go downrange with a little bit extra weight on them. Um, the special operations community now is treating their guys a lot more like professional athletes now where they have access to dietitians uh, as well as strength conditioning coaches and things of that nature. So if they know they're potentially going to be going into famine cycle at some point in their deployment, send them down range with an extra 10 pounds on their body. So they've got something to work off of. Uh, sorry, ladies, what else you got? Well, I feel like when we talked about it too, we were mentioning about how even stateside people will go through this feast famine cycle of like, Oh, I'm back. I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to, mm-hmm beer wing you know junk food and then when you get ready to go to a training course you're getting ready then all of a sudden you go into almost this like fad diet cycle and so it's interesting that because in the nutrition field when we see this with the normal population it look we call it the binge restrict cycle it's just like really common Mm. like the diet cycle people get stuck Mm -hmm. in where it's like i'm restricting because i want to lose weight and then i'm i didn't actually restrict or reduce calories in a way that was enjoyable or sustainable for me so i go back to eating the way i was and it's just like binge restrict feast famine so like that's kind of what that is ro but it's just interesting that this population experiences it on a couple different levels um yeah what are your thoughts nicole um i mean are we like asking for thoughts on like the tactical athlete side or just like for our listeners who may not be a tactical athlete (laughs) (laughs) i guess both yeah well because with with this i I feel like everyone's the same you know yeah like yeah Mm -hmm. at the end of the day this is the same for everyone yeah i think you know when you hear the word famine you think that you have to be like stranded in a desert with no food and but (laughs) you know what we work with on a daily basis is individual like just going into any kind of caloric deficit that is your body's weight, like your body just sees that as like starvation, even if it is on a minimal side. And that's why it's so important to work with a professional who can gauge, you know, how many calories that you are going to need based on like your stress, your sleep, your activity, and then slowly drop. Because I think so many people, they're just like, oh, I want to lose weight. 
So I'm going to just like cut out all these things all at once. And the only way that your body is viewing that is this, uh, you know, if we're talking about me, like Nicole's, she's starving. We don't know where she is. She doesn't have access to food. And I think a lot of the times too is people view this as like they don't have like control, but that's really just like your body's survival mechanism. When you do start to eat, especially like say you were cutting out carbs, you start to eat carbs again and then you just like can't stop eating carbs. That's just because that's your body's like natural survival. Like, okay, we need to eat as many of these carbs as possible because we don't know when we're going to go without them again. So really here, like the biggest tip in, you know, real life scenario is the more you restrict, the more likely you're going to overconsume or binge the next time you eat. Yeah, it's like, in reality, we all should have, okay, this is a, I understand what I'm about to say is like perfect scenario, okay? I just want to preface this by saying like, everyone's going to be like, what, what the hell? Your face, you were like, ah. <laughs> but, okay, in a perfect world, everyone would have an understanding of their maintenance baseline and how to fuel their body to perform their best and maintain where they're at. And we would have these little deviations up and down, depending on your goals, the demand of your training, if you're looking for some body recomp. But what happens is everyone just does this like extreme freaking whiplash up and down instead of just like really learning how to fuel their body and like maintain this beautiful, happy level, which is better for your hormones, which, you know, hormones imbalance is really definitely a struggle for the tactical Mm -hmm. athlete just because of the stress and everything else Mm -hmm. that happens. So this is even especially important for the tactical athlete. You know, everyone I wish lived in this, my mythical, mythical happy land. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much information out there. It's hard to (laughs) decipher like what to do and all the different things. Well, well, like going back to the podcast we had with uh, Hunter, Dr. Hunter Wallman, right? Like, you know he was talking about firefighters having a lot of stress because like they they don't sleep uh every there's like always a light on right they have to be ready to go and this really messes them up and when we look at equating calories really uh they're it's it's better for them than just like cutting out carbohydrates and so it's it's so interesting you talk about how you know, uh, military personnel are like, we can't have carbs. Like it's, it's bad for me or whatever. Uh, but they're also under situations where they can't be sleeping. They have to be ready to go. And so if you're already kind of fucking yourself up, why, why are you going to be like, I don't need carbs either. Like, let's just make things even harder on myself. Um, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Um, you, you did mention Nicole that, uh, you know, there's always a like a pendulum swing from one side to another that if you restrict super hard, then you are always going to want to go back even harder. Um, and I know we see this in a lot of athletes when they come out of or once they're done playing their sport, right? They've expended like, you know, 5,000 calories worth of en- energy a day for 10 years, right? And they are always eating blah, blah. And then they stop and then they gain like a a ton of weight because they're like, well, I can keep eating. Uh, Lance, in your experience, did did you have this happen to you? And do you see this happening to a lot of like military personnel where restriction just happens so much and then you're like 
backstage side and you're like oh i have access to all this food and i don't have to train this hard anymore like what happens to the health of someone who has been in the military that is now out yeah um you know i see it i do see it happen a lot with uh with guys and girls coming back from deployment actually because the majority of us are not on you know a front line um you know fighting al-qaeda or isis guys the majority of us are doing some sort of support role and you have access to food most of the time it usually is an issue and you you have gym access so people go you know they leave to go deploy and they spend six months and what do you do with all your spare time well you're not you're not going to the shopping mall or to the movie theater so you hit the gym so people come back in great shape right because they okay. they have all the free food access they they want if they're not you know someplace that's more austere and they have gym access so you see it and then you'll see that same same person will come back from deployment and be like man yeah you look good man you put putting some putting some mass on the guns man you're doing some bicep curls the past six months and then um you know trim waist they're whatever and then you'll see them again in two months maybe you know just seeing them around base and all of a sudden they're like 10 pounds heavier and you know that's <laughs> you doing another dirty bulk or um so <laughs> <laughs> dirty bulk for life yeah yeah exactly so yeah you absolutely you, you do see it um with the whole cycle of how much how much work you're hitting and i think a lot of it is and i know in my community it's what's really bad and i, I try to talk to people about this with meal prepping is uh you know security forces or military police you're you're a shift worker right so when you're back stateside or even when you're deployed too, you know you're working a 12-hour shift um so there's a, a day shift and a night shift and uh you know you work you, you work those long hours and a lot of times people don't properly meal prep. They don't take food with them. And so what they do over those, that 12 hour cycle, they end up getting someone to drop them off fast food or they run to, you know, the gas station and get uh, tornadoes and a Red Bull. Uh, and so like the, just the quality of the nutrition that they're putting in their body is honestly just piss poor. And it's convenient, yes, it is, and it's okay to do once in a while. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, damn, I, I, I left the house. I forgot. I forgot my lunch. You know, you, you make do. But I mean, people doing it five, six days a week. It's you know, and it just and you guys know this diet is it's a cumulative effect, right? So, if you can, if you have little good habits over a course of time, that will have compounded effects. If those same little habits are bad and they compound, you, next thing you know, you're like, I, uh, I can't fit into my uniform anymore. So I definitely see it. <laughs> That's wild. Uh, real quick, what the hell is a tornado? Oh, you don't know a tornado? That sounds like it would be a really good time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like uh, you go to the gas you go to the gas station. And it's like the little sausage that's wrapped in a tortilla that's like on the rollers. That's like just <laughs> oh it's, my God. No, it's like it's like it's like highly processed preservative meat wrapped in refined white flour. It's 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 about as quality nutrition as you can get. <laughs> Oh man, there's the, those cured meats we were hurt. just talking about. Just to think about it. <laughs> uh, question for you two: Can pregnant women have tornadoes? <laughs> uh, no, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna advise no. Hard pass. On you're that. like you're like I'm away. all about eating the things that work for you, the but the baby comes out and just wants no this tornado. gas gas station food. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, that would be that would be awesome. That'd be a tank of a baby. Uh, no pun intended. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, uh, Lance, you've kind of talked about how you started um, coaching, uh, and then I assume it was specifically tactical athletes. Um, and and so, can you can you explain kind of you know how do you approach working with these people in the realm of 
physical fitness. Um, Dr. Smith actually made a joke once because we were talking about the TSAC and the TSAC is the technical strength and conditioning mm -hmm. certification. Uh, and I, I, I don't remember if he helped write a portion of it, um, but he was making a joke how it's like, it's a totally different certification and there is like nuance to it. But he's like, for the most part, if you go into the NSCA book, you click control F, you find football, you delete it and you re-enter tactical athlete. It's the same damn thing. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, what are some things that, that you do and how do you approach the specificity of the tactical athlete? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love working with anybody that's that's going into this realm because it's it's my passion. Um, so if anybody ever wants to work with me and they're I, whether they're go, looking to go in the military or they're uh, local law enforcement that wants to try out for the SWAT team or the special response team, something of this nature, I love working with those guys because they have a, they've got a goal, right? They've got someplace they really want to be, and they're usually highly motivated. It's much easier to coach someone that's highly motivated than someone who's struggling Always. just to figure out how to get off the couch, right? So. But and that being said, though, I'll work with anybody. Um, I have a, a very holistic approach to how I work with coaching. Um, my mentor uh, was a resilience coach, and I, I bring resiliency coaching into how I work with individuals, right? So I like to look at people's lifestyle as a – there's four pillars or four legs to this table that we call our resilience and how, how we basically handle life, right? So we have, we have our physical health pillar – which and which you know revolves our working out and what we're doing for our physical fitness as well as our nutrition. We have our mental health pillar, which is tied to our physical health. We know that Brooke and I talked about that on my on my podcast about gut health and how it relates to mental health. And then you have your social pillar, and this is the people that you're surrounding yourself with, right? Which includes a coach. If you're working with a coach, they're in your your social pillar there, they can be a mentor, sometimes a peer, but uh, as well as the people that you're surrounding yourself with, we know, I mean, I'm sure you guys have oh, at some point in your life had some sort of accountability partner doing physical stuff. If you're going on a run, you know, you're going to run harder if you have someone running with you than if you're by yourself. <clears throat> and then you have a, a spiritual pillar, right? And that's, and that one is really the most personal, but all four of these pillars are really all interconnected. And if you're working on one, they can influence the other. And it's important to have them all four strong, right? Because a table will stand with four legs really well. And you can knock out one of those legs on that table, right? A, a table will stand with three legs. But if you knock out two, the table's toppling. And that's when people's lives start to kind of really fall apart. So I like to work from a holistic approach to kind of as a as a personal coach, a life coach is not just wor worried about people with their with their fitness as well. Yeah, that's, awesome. that, that's, that's great. Uh, I know that's like, what we talk about heavily right how you can't you can't just feel like fuck it i want to be a brick shit house and then not deal with you know whatever trauma keeps you up at night because right. then you're like then you can't perform you can't be that brick shit house uh or like yeah me and my wife are consistently fighting i don't even know if i love her anymore i hate my children but i could squat 500 pounds and i can <laughs> oh run God. six minute mile you're like priorities, all right dude priorities, man. that's really good <laughs> yeah Exactly. And so I know Casey just got a good look into the future. Um, but uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think right. that you, you do that. That's a lot of stuff that like you have to think about, right. As a coach, uh, really, because the person themselves are not thinking about that. For the most part, they're, they're talking to you about, you know, how to become more fit, how to become, how to become healthier. Um, but when you tell them like, Hey, like, you know, focus on reducing your stress, focus on 
sleeping more and they're like that's not why the hell am i paying you 200 bucks a month to tell me to sleep more and it's like well that's because you need to focus on that especially you know in in your realm right the difference between uh someone not you know sleeping well and then going and doing kind of like an, an accounting job where they they can sit and it's still mentally very draining but they don't have to be super active and high alert is very different than someone who's like, I only got three hours of sleep last night. And it's like, cool, all these alarms are going off and you kind of have to be able to move with the drop of a hat. So how do you how do you kind of train for that? Um, not only in, in the, I guess, all the other realms of health, but specifically in the fitness um, realm. Uh, so if I'm understanding your question right, like you're, you're talking about, if you're, if you're not working with ath- athletes and help and helping them in their in their fitness. No, uh, I, I guess like specific to to tactical athletes. I I know I kind of like went in like eight circles, and no, that question good. barely made any sense. <laughs> uh, well, with with tactical athletes, it's, it's we really need to take a look at 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 goals, right? Because it becomes very oriented to what you're trying to accomplish, right? And so. Yeah, and this is this is the the mindset that the military's taken on more necessarily. Like we used to we used to do for everybody, you would get push up, sit ups, and a mile and a half run or two mile run, depending on what, what branch of service you're in, right? And it's okay. Well, I'm I'm a why guy, right? With my background being in science, it's why are we doing it that way, like that way? And a, typically, the answer in the military mm-hmm. is because well, because we've always been doing it that way. And to me, that's the wrong answer, right? right? We should be looking at evidence based approach. And if I'm expecting someone to be able to do a 200 meter sprint from point A to point B without getting shot at with 45 pounds of kit on, well, maybe that's what we should be working on for their physical fitness instead of a mile and a half run. Having cardiovascular endurance is important, but if it's not directly correlated to what you have to do for your job, then maybe we should start assessing some of those things and start working on those instead. Yeah, I know that the um, the tests I think they were supposed to change last year, right? The uh, entrance, the physical entrance exams um, were supposed to move more to like being able to drag things, being able to deadlift as opposed to like, oh, you can do a a bunch of pull-ups. Like, yeah, that's, that's really important. That's, (laughs) you do need to be able to pull yourself up or someone else up. But like, how often are you doing that compared to, like you said, holding a big heavy object and just being able to move from one place to the other. Um, how would you how would you program for something like that? Like, what's your thought process on uh, programming for those specifics? Yeah, those so specific goals. If it's someone who's going into a job that has those, because they still are going to have some sort of physical requirements. So, you know, if if that is mm-hmm. like the the army is the first one that's taken on this new PT test. So if it's like just trying to get someone ready to go into the army, then yeah, we're gonna we're gonna break down what's included in that PT test and and focus on that, and then we're gonna do you know periodization. Uh, we're gonna do periodization, and we're going to you know, basically start programming for those specific events. Um, and then, you know, with a tactical athlete too, I, I do like to add, you know, some, some gut check type stuff uh, with, with people because, <laughs> you know, you, you're going to have, you need to, you need to mentally be in a space to, to understand what you're walking into. And that, you know, one thing about, you know, athletes is if you, if you hand them a program and they know what they're walking into every single day, it's, it's, you, it almost can breed complacency. Uh, if you throw them curveballs every once in a while, it 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 kind of eh, 
mixes up the, the, the neurobiological system a little bit to, to like, Oh, what's he going to throw it at me today? So, um, I do, I do like working with people a lot on react reactivity and reaction type stuff too. Cause especially for warmups, cause you really, I really find that people turn on a lot, even if it's just like throwing a ball around a little bit or something like that, because it really seems like it gets mm-hmm. people engaged and they're more turned on for the rest of whatever you're doing with them with their, for their workout. Yeah, I have a uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Bobby O'Mullen. He's down at UCF now, um, but he he loves to warm up with playing spike ball. Yep. with a couple of friends I because it's ball. just like you know they just like hit it and they're just like ah how do I get to this how do I get to this and they have to react right right and it's like yeah you could sit there and have a ten minute warm up of like you know jumping and moving from side to side but if you're like fuck it let's just warm up playing spike ball or like a sport then you're inherently kind of being like oh i gotta move this way and i gotta move this way um so i i think i can definitely advocate for for that that as well like that's great so you should show up one day with just a spike ball and you're like <laughs> all right we're doing this for 20 minutes <laughs> as our warm-up if you beat me you don't have to run sprints um but yeah i think that that that's really uh a really good way of 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 looking at it um, I know that I think this was while we were at state, they had all of the, um, the ROTC kids, kids, adults, uh, ROTC people, um, that would just do a lot of like, uh, what I, what I think you're referring to is like the old school stuff where they would have, you know, um, water luges that they would like lunge for a hundred yards. And it's like, well, we're trying to keep you off balance. We're trying to like you know, build resiliency in your, in your joints and all this stuff. But like, how often are they doing that in never? Right. Are, do you remember a time where you had, you were holding something overhead and you were just like lunging for a hundred yards? Like what are the chances that that's going to happen? And yeah. I understand that you maybe need some of those gut checks. And I think your approach is really great where it's like, maybe every Wednesday you're like at midnight, you're like, Bam, this is what you're doing. Like, <laughs> first thing you wake up, that's your workout for the day. But like if you were, you know, doing that on a consistent basis, I could I could see where that would be a problem. And right. from like an adaptation standpoint, like it makes zero sense. Yeah. Um, it's not that extreme cool, for I might sure. Start doing that, but it's it's just yeah. it, it's it <laughs> yeah. can be as easy as like you know if you've you've got somebody doing uh 100 meter sprints right now. Okay, we're doing we're doing 10 of these. We're gonna take a, a two minute break and then we're doing 10 more, and then you get them through you know and you're like oh guess what you've got two more. You know you just you just throw them that cool curveball because they think they're done and they have to do a little bit more. And right. Then, in the in the military and as a first responder or law enforcement officer that that ends up being that the that I mean it, it, it's always. Murphy's law, right? It's, it's always going to happen when you least expect it. You're either, you're going to plan on going out for a 12 hour op and it turns into three days, or you're going to, you're going to get that call. You're going to get that call for that, that domestic abuse case that turned into an assault two minutes before you're supposed to get off shift. It's just, it's just the nature of the game and, and how we work. So being mentally prepared to, to just put in the extra work and not being basically not having any quit about it will help you perform in the long run. Yeah. And I think having a, a coach that understands that's really great too, because I know for me, if I program something, that's all I'm doing. I'm never going to be like, let's kick my own ass today. And I'm <laughs> going to do two more sets of this. Like, why <laughs> Why would I do that? I also don't need it, right? Compared to, to your people. But, um, you know, we, we, we mentioned how there are a bunch of other pillars and I just wanted to get into some specifics to fitness there. But 
you know, can we can we hear about more about your philosophy um, on breathing and movement and recovery? Because in the performance world, there's a huge shift to that now. Yep. You know, like I just created this thing for a fighter of ours where it's all about, you know, their readiness for the day. How, how can we make sure that their fatigue is managed? And especially for your people, right? Like fatigue is a huge thing because you are always on high alert. Um, so if you could talk about how how you run through that or like your philosophy on breathing, movement, and recovery, um, that would be really great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I've <clears throat> I've worked a little bit with Rob Wilson and um, Brian McKenzie with the guys over their their shift adapt now, but they were power speed endurance for a while, <clears throat> and they um they're huge on educating people on this. Uh, as well as XPT, who I have my, my certification through for, for breathing performance. But, uh, you know, breathing is the one thing that really connects our sympathetic and our parasympathetic nervous system, which is so important for all of us to have kind of a baseline of understanding for it, right? So use, using big words, okay, what does that mean, Lance? Okay, we're talking about the part of our nervous system that's the rest and digest part, the part that we don't really have full control over, and then we have the part that's the fight or flight response, right? And our breath really does have the ability to help us have control over shifting ourselves back and forth between these two parts of our, our nervous system. <clears throat> and one thing I really like to do is see what people's CO2 tolerance is like, because we're finding more and more that people's carbon dioxide tolerance has a lot to do with how well they handle stress. And you can do a really easy test where you'll just take three easy breaths through the nose, and then after the third one, a deep inhalation, and what you just do is with a timer, you slowly exhale through the nose, right? And you're just going to try to exhale for as long as possible through the nose with that exhalation. And this will kind of give you a baseline of what your carbon dioxide tolerance is. And the reason that's important is because if you have a very low carbon dioxide tolerance, you're probably going to have a very low tolerance to stress in general. And we know carbon dioxide in the in the blood changes our pH level. I mean, it has it has second, third, fourth order order effects of how it affects our our neurological systems and our bio, our, our our full biology. Honestly, so I really and it's it's been a, per, a pers personal anecdote for me too how important breath work is because it seems like it comes up anything I do in my life. When I was a kid growing up in Florida, I was snorkeling and scuba diving in the water, so I was learning how to control my breath doing that. In high school, I played trumpet, so I was learning how to control my diaphragm and my breath playing an instrument. Uh, when I went into the military, I became an advanced designated marksman, so I was learning how to control respiratory pauses when shooting 500 meters, you know, downrange with with a a, a precision rifle. <clears throat> so this has just been something that for me has come up all all the more. And now that I'm understanding the science behind it more, it's like, man, you can really apply this and help educate people on it better and help improve their lives with a little bit of knowledge. And it's the cool thing about it too, is this isn't new. I mean, we're understanding the science behind it a lot more, mm -hmm. but yoga is a 5,000 year old practice, right? And a lot of people think about yoga as the stretchy thing, but yoga is really about the breathing thing and the, the mind space thing. The stretching thing just comes after. Yeah, that the stretch thing is what I have a problem with when it comes to <laughs> yoga. But the the breath thing, I, I agree with. You know, uh, I I I sang for majority of my yeah. like my. I guess I can't say life now because I'm 28 now, and I'm like, oh fuck, I haven't sang in a couple of years. But like being in tune with your diaphragm was such such a huge thing when it comes to being able to sustain notes and breathe. You know, and 
a lot of people just don't know how to breathe yes, correctly. You're right. There's so much like shoulder shrugging mm-hmm. and there's so much that they're like, like, I can't, I always feel suffocated because my chest doesn't expand. And it's like, well, because you're not breathing in your stomach, you know, like you, you, my voice teacher used to say, uh, breathe through your balls, you know, like think about air being pulled down, like all the way down to like that pubic bone and, and further than that, so that you thought about, you know, air coming through and i had a friend in college where that would say you know treat your lungs like like a a a vase when you pour water into a vase does the top fill up first or does the bottom fill up first and it's like oh obviously like gravity dictates that it's the bottom and if our breath is stuck in this upper chest cavity and we're not taking like full breaths not only are you not stretching out like all of that the musculature that's supposed to be you know, fluid in, in, in our core and, and, you know, in our hips and stuff, you are also, like you said, not teaching yourself how to, how to relax. You're not being able to turn on that parasympathetic nervous system because our body is just treating that as a stress state. Like some people are really only in an unstressed state when they're asleep because they can shut off and their brain is like, all right, I got to keep you alive here's some deep breaths, you know? Um, and so, so I, what are some basic things we can work on, um, to increase that CO2 tolerance, to increase our ability to kind of unlock our breathing ability so that we can recover better. Yeah. The the first thing I would tell people is start using your nose more instead of your mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's a lot of people have issues with allergies and stuff like that. And that, that becomes a different complicated issue. If you have a deviated septum or something right. like that, it becomes more of a challenge. There's some, some, you know, if someone wants to work with me, there's some ways to work, work around that. But we know two things now that obviously this is, you know, function wise, the nose is designed for breathing. The mouth is designed for mm-hmm. basically for eating. You know, we use it to communicate too. Um, and we notice that two things happen when people use their nose first one that's really big is it actually nitric oxide releases higher when people nasal breathe, right? Which is huge for brick. You used the word earlier vasodilation, right? So if you want to oxygenate those tissues and you want to accelerate vasodilation for work, breathe through your nose. It's shown that nitric oxide is released when air passes through the nasal, the nasal cavity. And the other thing we know, starting to understand now too, is that metabolism is actually affected by how we breathe. And with people mouth breathing, they are actually metabolically more carbohydrate dependent. And if you're someone who's already struggling with a bad diet and eating a lot of refined carbohydrates and you're breathing through your mouth, you're actually causing a negative feedback loop to crave more carbs all the time. So you actually metabolize fat better through nasal breathing over mouth breathing. Hmm. I'm like, my brain is like, now I'm spinning wheels. I'm like, well, why does that matter? You know, because this is this is like, I feel like a box has just been opened and I don't know where to go with this. But Brooke, I see you. Lance, I'll, I'll be yeah. glad to send you publications on it. Yeah, I would love to like mm-hmm. know like yeah. any like books and researches out there because I've, I've definitely been hearing more of this over the last couple of years. So I would love to like learn more. Yeah, yeah uh, there's some friends of mine that talk about mouth taping and how important mm-hmm. it is at night to like essentially we I guess we have a tendency to sleep with our mouth open and breathe through our mouth. And so they were big believers in mouth taping. And I was just curious, like, what are your thoughts or do you know anything about that? 
yeah i do i do know people ha- who have done the mouth taping thing i haven't done it myself because i i've been told that i'm generally not a snorer but a lot of people i mean we do have a real issue in this in our country with breathing dysfunction right and one of the mm-hmm. one of the things yeah. is people having having uh sleep apnea and a lot of it comes from that mouth breathing uh as well so yeah i would encourage anybody that's trying to uh wants to self-assess try try the mouth tape thing um i i've actually was thinking about trying it myself because i you know you, you don't know you're not conscious of it while you're sleeping whether you're breathing through your nose or your mouth mm-hmm. so the only way to really know that you're doing it is try the the mouth taping it may sound sound a little bit weird at first to be like oh, i'm going to tape tape my mouth closed and then go to go to bed and i'm not saying like use like a like a giant strip of duct tape and look like you're getting kidnapped or something they actually i think you can go on like <laughs> amazon and they actually have mouth tape now someone's made it where it's like you know yeah, it's it easy like to peel off medical tape square right exactly yeah. <laughs> it's not super intimidating mm-hmm. have but also uh, if you do decide the... to do that um Text text someone the night before so that they can make sure you're alive the ne- the next day. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Nicole. Um, have any of y'all read the book Breath by James Nestor? I have not, but I've heard of it. I have it's listened like to some of behind. James Nestor's podcast information, but yeah. Do you uh, the think other that one would I would recommend. So James Nestor. Yes, and another one I would recommend is The Oxygen Advantage by Patrick McCowan. And he is uh, one of the primary research people that's gone into XPT uh, and worked with Laird and Gabby with their breathing protocols. Um, you know, there's along along with the mouth breathing thing is a lot of people overbreathe, right? If you look at respiration rates in people, um, they should be breathing maybe 10 to 20 times per minute. And we're seeing more and more in American society that people are, are, you know, respiratory cycles, meaning the number of times they're inhaling, exhaling is up to 30 times a minute, which is way, way too high. Uh, and one of those things in, in helping with carbon dioxide tolerance and nasal breathing is to lower that respiration rate so that you're not over breathing. Yeah, I think that that has to do with the, the fact that people are less I, I guess I don't want to make a generalization, but I think that most of Americans are like not fit people um, or don't have like really good aerobic fitness, myself included, uh, because all I do is lift weights. But that in itself means that you can't like you can't take in oxygen more as efficiently. And then you you um, compound that with people breathing through their, you know, like their chest, like we talked about. Then, yeah, you're going to need to take more breaths because you don't know how to take fuller breaths right um but that that's a that's a good point and if someone's um, really struggling like you I, know I guess... they can't you know I, I can't run a mile you know i just i'm not i'm not there right now right breathing breathe breath work is scalable to everyone i can teach i can teach my 70s mm-hmm. work with my 72 year old dad and do breathing exercises or i can work with a six-year-old on breathing exercises i can't do everything i can't do that with olympic lifting with everyone right because some people are just not fit it fit enough to do it so you know it it does help bridge a a big gap for for helping people find the state between their physical and the mental yeah and so uh one thing i just popped in my head is they they did um they did studies uh i think it was in the past two or three years and i'll have to go and find them um but you know how when altitude mass became like a huge thing Mm -hmm. like 10 years ago right like 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm like laughing at all those gym hardos that were right. like, oh, well, you know, I'm just, I'm going to be able to train him on Everest. Like, they right. look like Bane. Fuck, yeah. You're a fucking like, idiot. What are you yeah. doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was born in the And doctors. it's like, because, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, their their thought process was, well, it's going to restrict oxygen. And so, yeah. um, you know, now it's like I'm I'm training at an altitude, but, you know, the amount of oxygen in the atmosphere doesn't change right. even if you just breathe it through a straw or those masks. Um, but they did find that based on the person, if because uh, they have these altitude masks where you can kind of dial in the, the intensity of it, whether it's like very difficult to breathe or, uh, you know, somewhat challenging. Um, and they found that uh, for... For everyone, it's specific because it's kind of like your own musculature and the diaphragm especially, that if you warm up with breathing uh, with whatever works for you, your VO2 max in a VO2 max test goes up. Yep. And so when you use those tools, that tool specifically for like breath work and when you're talking about like it reminded me about it because you you mentioned mouth taping and because you just become more efficient and stronger in breathing. Um, and obviously, if you do that over time, that's like more a long term adaptation. But if you can like prime your system by having just enough stress to kind of wake up that musculature like you're warming up, then it means that you perform more efficiently in those VO2 max tests or while you're doing doing work. Um, but I, I remember reading that and just being like, holy shit, like, you know, every every tool kind of works in in its own way. And you sell it as an altitude thing. It doesn't make sense. But now that people know that we can increase your the the strength of your diaphragm, the efficiency of your diaphragm, then that means breathing just at rest becomes better. You become a more efficient breather and you can become more uh, fit just by, you know, working on on that. Um, but yeah. Forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> so there's my little my little two cents, I guess. I don't know. I like it. Um, can you can you mention again, Lance? Just because uh, I I want to make sure I have it in my head right about the um mouth breathing and the fat utilization, right? Yeah, is that what you were saying? Yeah. So I I, I I can I can pull these studies up and send them to you guys if you want to put them in show notes in show notes or That's, something. I'd but, love to. Yeah. yeah, but they're they're finding that that mouth breathing is actually pushes pushes metabolism to being more carbohydrate dependent. And what it does is it causes a, a negative feed, feedback loop, right? So if you breathe through your mouth more, you are going to crave more carbs. And 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 you can see this with with marathon runners, right? Like if they if they're mouth breathing, <clears throat> they're constantly needing that quick carb, quick carb, quick carb. Whereas if you nasal breathe, you actually metabolize fat better. So if you are trying to burn fat, nasal breathing actually helps shift the metabolism to fat burning faster. I guess the next question would be then why is that why is that even important? Like why like at rest we we burn fat more, right? Because it, it's not that we're doing any sort of intense work. Um, but like, how, how is that? How is that practical? Or how can we use that practically for an everyday 
person. Well, if you're trying to if you're trying to lose weight and you're struggling with like a I'm not going to say carbohydrate addiction, but you're you're on a refined carbohydrate carbohydrate diet and your mouth breathing you're you're actually probably doing you're doing yourself probably more harm than good hmm. yeah yeah i would love to read more about that because i'm like I, I don't know why there's something in my head that i'm like something is missing or maybe i'm just not understanding it right um but yeah send those my way I'd, i would love to read yeah them. i will that's, that's super interesting um cool so obviously like having an increase in respirations mm -hmm. kind of translates to being more high stress, right? That's, right. that's kind of what we can, what can think about. Um, you know, you mentioned that, especially for tactical athletes, <laughs> they live in high stress environments yep. all the time. Um, so in your experience, what are some strategies to like help reduce this baseline of stress? Um, whether it's specifics to breathing or just like, you know, spiritual practice, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, the, the breathing part is, is huge and it's hard to try to get a, you know, a green beret or a Navy seal to be like, Hey man, I just, you need to sit down and like, and just meditate for like 10 minutes before you go to bed every night. You know what I mean? It's some guys, right. some guys and gals will, will buy into that and some won't. It's just, it depends on the individual. Um, but you know, there's, there's ways you can tie it into other things too. Um, I know from going to, to the art of breath seminar. Um, I mean, you can, you can do this in hit, right? So if you're working with an athlete and you're doing their, do their conditioning at the end of their workout and you're doing high intensity interval training, you can work on that breath work with them in between, right? Their rest period. All right. Mm -hmm. you no, know, I want you to stand up erect. I don't want you to, I don't, I don't want you to, to, to hunch over and, and bend over the knees. Right. And we have to do this as tactical athletes too. Right. Not just cause I know there's, there's been some articles about like, Oh, you know, recovering actually is faster with hands on knees, blah, blah, blah. But you have to keep your eyes up and on your environment, right? So you can't be staring at the floor uh, if you're a tactical right. athlete. Um, so getting them in a good erect posture and then focusing on nasal breathing and slow exhalation and working on just trying to get their heart rate down, right? So if, if they know how to have self-control over bringing their heart rate down and they're doing this every day in their, in their high intensity interval training, well, it's going to be more intrinsic in them when the proverbial human excrement hits the oscillator, shit hits the fan, that they're going to go back to that. <laughs> okay. They're going to go back to that deep breath through the nose and slow exhale to drive themselves more into parasympathetic sympathetic state so they can think and then act versus going into panic mode. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Right. And so the, it's, it's just like with anything else with like the hit style of training, right? It's little lessons in resiliency. We're going to bring it up. We're going to bring it down. We're going to bring it up and we're going to bring it down. And the more you do that with people, the better they get at it. Yeah. So that's, that's so great uh, that, that you mentioned that. Um, I know that, so we do uh, VO2 max testing at the performance ranch and for, you know, it, the, most of the people I work with are fighters, um, mm -hmm. but, you know, we've done it on a bunch of different athletes and a mountain biker and a long endurance person is, or an endurance athlete um, is much better at being able to do that because if they want to sustain continuous uh, energy output, they have to know how to pace themselves, right. right? What I've seen in my experience is crossfitters and fighters are the worst <laughs> because they're always in third gear they're like fuck it i'm gonna go do this thing young athletes especially with too. fighters right because no yeah yeah because because but like young athletes they just are learning themselves right, right? 
a someone who's been training for a long time is like, I've just been on go mode. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what do you mean you've just been on go mode? Like, how do you how do you rest at all? Um, but yeah, specifically the the CrossFitters and the fighters, because it's all about just like it's always a time thing, right? Like you only have X amount of time to finish this wad. You only have X amount of time to beat someone in the ring. And so what what they don't learn how to do or something that they don't focus on is being able to when they are resting actually resting right actually focusing on that breath work um because it it does take the heart rate down and so if you can take the heart rate down then you can recover a lot better if you can slow down your breathing so that you have deeper breaths you are going to wow take oxygen to the places where it's needed to be. Um, and so I think that it's it's really great that you mentioned that that's it's such an important tool for specifically, you know, military personnel, tactical athletes, but just like athletes in general, when it's your time to rest, right? Focus on resting, right? Even if you're taken out of a play, right? Like this, this does not mean you should go around like hyping people up and, and whatever, especially if you're very tired, you should be sitting there focusing on your breath. Um, And then from like kind of long-term adaptations, we see that the thresholds in the aerobic thresholds are pushed further. So you can last longer because you've trained yourself how to work not only at maximal levels, but at submax levels. Because for the most part, we're in submax levels and you only recover when you are in a submaximal level. Um, so that's awesome. I think that as far as like my practice goes, like I, I will be telling my clients, like we're just going to have 10 minutes of breath work and just kind of work up from there because it's something that like I know and it's inherent, but I just haven't even thought about it. Um, yeah. So thank you for that. But also like, yes, keep preaching the 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 word of the breath uh, is, is the best way to put yeah. it, I guess. Um, is there anything else you want to add specifically about like breathing or you know taking taking time to 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 meditate cuz you said it's hard to get green berets to sit yeah. down and be like hey just like reflect on your life and whatever like how do you get someone who's hardcore and I know that f- because for me I can't meditate and I'm like this is a waste of my fucking time and I'm not like a manly man of any sort so how do you deal with like someone like that and teach them how to actually slow themselves down. Yeah, so you know, we we see a lot of commonality with med- meditation and flow state, right? Which is super important for athletes too, right? That's constantly like how do you how do you hack the flow state as an athlete and get into the zone, right? So you're just you're feeling everything. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, certain activities being paired with breath work is is actually goes in the same kind of brain wave patterns as meditation is going in a flow state. So if someone's really struggling and like, look, man, I can't just sit here and breathe and like think of nothing. You got to find something that they do. And for, for dudes, especially, I don't know why, but this just is, is doing something with their hands. Right. So if they're, if they like whittling wood, if they like playing a guitar, if they like, um, you know, something that's like an, an activity that doesn't require a lot of effort and is kind of like comes kind of, naturally they've been doing for a long time and involve breath work and doing that it kind of distracts the mind and allows them to kind of enter more of a state of of calm without having to be like oh i have to think about my own thoughts because a lot of people if we're like okay just just be blank think of nothing they it's just like 
it's not going to work. I got, I got to do something. So you get, you create kind of right. an, an atmosphere for them or encourage them to go to that activity that helps them enter a more relaxed state. And then if you combine that with flow with like breathing, you can enter a flow state and enter a more relaxed state in general. Yeah. I think that that's a really good point that it has to be something that doesn't involve a lot of like thought process to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Brooke and I were a part of this, um, conference this weekend and, and she texted me when, uh, uh, a lady named Lindsay had mentioned about how like working out is not therapy, right? Like therapy is therapy. And she was like, so you need therapy. And, and I jokingly (laughs) said like, Lindsay doesn't know anything. Um, but it's, it's true because like, you know, people do work out for the therapeutic effects, but yeah. sometimes it's like, it's not a flow state because you're focused on a, a task. Like you are focused on, hey, I need to hit 300 pounds today. Like that that is not just working out to feel good. And so maybe for anyone listening who has or does use exercise as, as their, you know, time to zone out, like start to think about whether it's really you zoning out or if it's like you kind of pushing things aside to focus on the specific task um, and then probably go to therapy because it's good for everyone. Or <laughs> well, so I hurt, do but. like the idea of like meditation through movement. And I think mm-hmm. that's why the yoga asanas were created. So there is something to be said for for that. But at the same time, you can't um, outwork the actual underlying issues. So I'm a big believer in therapy or whatever that looks like for you. There's definitely like non-traditional ways to go about it. Um, You know, it's not just, and there's so many different types of like mental health and mental wellness providers that it's not the way it used to be. It's not just like talk therapy and like, it's so different now that, you know, it's kind of like finding a coach. You have to find someone that you connect with and like, do you guys believe the same things and you have the same vision? And then that's, there you go. Yeah. That's why I can't get into yoga to relax either because it's not something I'm good at. So I'm like, fuck, fuck, fuck. How do I get better at this? Like, oh man, this is cramping. What am I thinking? You know, it's like not a zone out time. But there are times where I'm playing video games and then like two hours pass and I haven't thought about breathing or anything. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like I totally just zoned out. Like right. that is my my time to kind of just chill out and, and do whatever. Um, but yeah, that's that's really great. Um, Nicole and, and Brooke, do you, do you have any like you know, we've talked about stress on the podcast before, especially with, with Hunter and, and inflammation, but you know, are there like any, this sounds very weird to say, but like any nutritional strategies to, to help with, with stress management, you know, I know it's not as easy as like, if you have a lettuce leaf, you're not stressed anymore, but like, how does, like, how can our nutrition kind of play a role in um, reducing baseline stress? Um, I think it just comes back to where, like, it's all connected. You know, there's going to be things that you figure out through, like, working with a dietitian one-on-one of, you know, does this particular food cause inflammation? And then, like, you're going to go through, like, the process of, like, either, like, reducing that or removing that and figuring out different ways. But it's all about, for me at least, like as you become like more in tune with your body and you're able to listen and you're able to realize like, Oh, actually like after I eat this or after I do this, I don't feel my best. 
then you can start working with a professional to really like pinpoint what that is because there may be a lot of different things going on. It may not just be like a certain food or whatnot, but I think it that's why, you know, we talk about it all the time, why it's so important to have this like multi-dimensional team where it's not just like a dietitian, it's not just a trainer. Um, you really have to like have, you know, a whole team of people around you to really like pinpoint like what's going on. I don't know if there's necessarily like any like magical food that's going to just like reduce your stress. <laughs> the acai berries. Yeah. <laughs> Anything high in antioxidants. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like more of a nutrition philosophy, I would say. And this that's idea fair. of creating uh-huh. balance and trying not to further stress the system when you're already stressed. Um, when people are in these really chaotic times, like I like to ask, um, you know, specifically clients where their goals might be fat loss. It's like, what's more important right now? Being a smaller human or working through what's going on and just making sure that you're not so stressed. So I think you just really have to take a holistic approach to when you work with someone nutrition wise. And a lot of the times, most of us need more balance with our nutrition and in our lives, it goes hand in hand and creating that in a non, um, you know, in a less stressful way. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, I think that, you know, we're going to have a whole podcast episode about this, but um, a big red flag when you're working with a coach to me is if they tell you this is the only way to do it. This is the one way you have (laughs) to do it. Dogmatic I think that's a huge red flag. Yep. And there should, you know, your coach should be willing to work with you and be like, no, this is how we're going to prioritize this. There's other ways to do this. There's other things, you know, you have options. What is the best fit for you? And, um, Mostly, I think with nutrition, it's just creating balance and you will feel better if you put better fuel into your body. But also, I don't want to demonize this idea of, you know, that sometimes we just want a freaking bowl of ice cream at the end of the day. Um, And that's okay. I think this just becomes an issue if it's we're using food as a crutch for stress Mm. or we're using food in response to an emotion. Um, We're also going to have a whole episode about all that soon coming up with Lindsay, who's like a therapist who specializes in this stuff. So, yeah, those are my random mumbling thoughts. It takes a village to raise an adult. <laughs> so, so yeah, make sure you have a, a good team. <laughs> uh, we kind of we touched on this, Lent, um, about how uh, transitioning from, or I guess transitioning out of the military uh, can be difficult. Um, what kind of advice do you have for someone going through this life experience as someone who has gone through it themselves? Yeah, um, this is something that really touches home <clears throat> to me because, you know, we're, we're this statistic gets thrown out all the time, but there's 22 veterans a day that are killing themselves. Uh, veteran depression is a very serious issue. Um, and when they walk away from the military, a lot of times they're dealing with uh, divorce from marriages, uh, broken broken relationship to family, not having good connection with their kids, uh, physical ailments, whether it's you know as something as extreme as actually getting blown up and losing a limb or just just being somewhat broken from the wear and tear. Uh, and then they're losing the community too of their brothers and sisters they served alongside, which really does become your family. So, you know, along with those four pillars of resiliency I talked about, you know, important to try to stay, try to stay on your, on your physical pillar. Like it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be crushing it like you did when you first came in, but even if it's just going out for a walk 
and you know after dinner or something and and just getting some activity especially if it's out out in nature um that's that's a great place to start right mentally being being a little bit self-aware and okay to talk about where you're at mentally right if you're really struggling with someone uh reach out to somebody um sometimes it's sometimes it should be a friend but sometimes you don't want to talk to people that are close to you so they're you know there's a the the veteran suicide hotline is there all the time and i strongly encourage you know anybody that's struggling to to call there and because there are resources available uh i've been working with uh some veteran nonprofit organizations such as gray team and heroic hearts project i've had them both uh, on my podcast uh, to talk about veteran resources outside of the VA to help with mental mental health for veterans. Um, <clears throat> and then there's your their social pillar, right? So find find and create a community. Uh, so whether that's, you know, transitioning from the military to, you know, your local gym or, you know, jujitsu or I mean, who knows? Everybody's into something different. Maybe you really you've always wanted to learn pottery and you're like, I want to start doing pottery class. Like just find find yeah. something that opens up a new social sphere for you so that you're making a new circle of friends. Uh, and the other thing is to make sure you're surrounding yourself with the right people too, like people that are going to encourage you, people that are going to support you and people that are going to be um wanting to see you be the best version of yourselves, you know, you could, if you surround yourself with the wrong people, you can, it can send you further down the wrong path, not, not up in the right direction. And then the spiritual piece, which, you know, that's, that's a very personalized thing, right? And you know, you talk about, you're going to get people upset. You talk about politics, politics or religion. Um, but the, the one thing is to, to always keep in mind is that, you know, there's something greater than yourself. Right. And if you, if you can keep that in mind, right, you can find connection with people around you and stay connected. Another thing is finding a mission. So whether that's, that's, you know, an outreach program for other veterans, which is kind of where the avenue I've been on, because I want to be supportive of that community as I'm transitioning out or focus on your family because your family is your mission. And damn it, you need to take care of those kids because you want to get them into college and you want them to get good grades or, you know, or even it's just, you set a personal goal, like, Hey, I want to do my first Ironman, or, you know, I want to, I want to do a bodybuilding competition. Some, it can be something that's just purely for you, but picking a mission that's goal oriented and drive towards that. Um, those are the, the biggest things I would say for people that are transitioning out. Wow. What a straight up beautiful answer. Um, I know that uh, anyone listening to this is is definitely going to want you in their corner, Lance, uh, you know, as far as a community um, or someone to talk to and stuff. So um, tell us what you're working on right now and, and where people can find you and, and, you know, stuff like that so that it's not just that they get this little blip of you in this podcast, but, you know, maybe they can learn more from you and, and kind of what you're about and, and see if they can grow a community with you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would love to talk to anybody. I love sparking up a, a random conversation. Uh, so you can always find me at the Warrior Monk Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. That's honestly the best place to message me and contact me right now. I'm working on uh, redoing my website right now. So my web designer is working, working on that. But once it's up and running, it will be uh, warriormonksolutions.com. Uh, and then you can listen to my podcast, which I've been doing. I've got uh, 18 episodes up now. My most recent one I actually did with Brooke, where we talked about nutrition for tactical athletes. Um, so the Warrior Monk podcast, which is on Apple, Spotify, and Audible as well. Nice, all over the place. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll have to. I'll have to go and listen in for sure. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, of course. I'm like, I'm like, no, I can't listen to any other podcast except for this one. So I'm sorry. I've learned all I've needed to know. 
uh that was a, a really insightful podcast thank you so much for coming on and and not only speaking to your experiences but like to to give an idea of to our listeners and us about like what it is that military personnel deal with and you know outside of just like you know people have their opinions about uh war and you know the military complex and blah 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 but these are people right like we have to take care of our people um and they also are struggling with things that we struggle with on a day-to-day basis as well so it was really really great to, to have you come on and, and talk about that stuff I, I know i'm leaving with things to think about and and implement with with my own people even though none of them at this point are any sort of military personnel but um yeah thank you so much yeah thanks for having thanks me. for this coming is, on yeah this has been great it's awesome of course of course um so uh we've talked about where people can find you um just as a shout out to our listeners thank you for continuing to listen uh please continue to rate us and to share us and to send us questions and we are always looking for questions of the week um as well as putting stuff on our bank for q a episodes so if you found something interesting uh from here uh feel free to dm lance but also send us uh, a text to see a text or a dm um to see if there's something that we can talk about um i know that we are all accepting clients um i do things related to exercise and performance specific to fitness uh nicole is our intuitive eating slash health at every size dietitian and then brooke is a dietitian specializing in the athletic performance and weight management um Follow us on at unhealth. Wow, at health unfiltered pod uh, on Instagram. I've done this so many times and I still don't know our freaking handle. Um, and then keep keep sending us stuff. I know one thing that uh, I want to do, Lance, is put um, in our show notes. We'll put not only uh, your Facebook, your Instagram, and your podcast, um, but we will put the the veter- veteran suicide hotline um, number on there in case anyone needs to know it or you know. Uh, maybe can think about that as well yeah i'll give it to you right um, now if you want it but yeah 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 i, I saw uh brooke was texting it in in the notes yeah, so yeah. um but yeah if you would like to you know it's 1-800-273-8255 um and so I'm, i feel like you have that memorized <laughs> at this point you're like yes i know what it is um but yeah uh thank you for listening um Thank you again, Lance, for coming on. Super appreciated. And then, ladies, thank you for taking time out of your Sundays, especially Nicole, since you're in the middle of a move and everything. She has no um, chair. She's just been standing the whole time. That's, that's why I've been disappearing. Good I'm sorry. You, I'm just like, I need to sit Rump. for one second. It's okay. Remember to breathe through your nose. As you're <laughs> yes, I, like every full, time you said that, I was deep like, breaths. how am I breathing? <laughs> it was a good reminder. <laughs> Yes, of course. So send us your breathing messages as well. But until next time, cue that music. (laughs) Peace out, y'all. There we go. So fun.